Welcome to Healing at the Speed of Light. Every week, we discuss how laser therapy is changing healthcare and how you can benefit. Now, here is your host and founder of Laser Therapy Institute, Dr. Jason Roundtree. All right, welcome back to Healing at the Speed of Light. My name is Dr. Jason Roundtree. I'll be your host today. We're going to be talking about traumatic brain injury. Now, uh, just to let you know, this podcast is supported by and provided by Laser Therapy Institute. Laser Therapy Institute is a membership organization of laser therapy experts across the country. What we do is provide excellent laser therapy to patients in local communities. If you're looking for a laser therapy provider near you, please go to our website, lasertherapyinstitute.org. Look at the provider map. Find out if there's somebody near you that can help you with whatever you're dealing with. But today, we're going to be talking about traumatic brain injury. And we're going to be referencing a study that came out in 2015 in Neuropsychiatric Disease and Treatment. The title of the study is Treatments for Traumatic Brain Injury with Emphasis on Transcranial Near-Infrared Laser Phototherapy. Now, there's a lot of words there. What does that mean? Basically, we are putting a laser on the head. We're shining light into the brain to try and treat these brain injuries. So, uh, what is a traumatic brain injury? Well, it is at some type of impact on the brain. That can be a contact or a non-contact force applied to the brain that results in some level of damage. So contact force would be like falling and hitting your head on the floor or against the wall. That's, a, that's an impact there. Or, or you know, a football player getting hit um, in a tackle situation and having that traumatic brain injury be a, a factor there. Non-contact is when you have a severe force to the head and the neck that doesn't mean the head hits anything but the acceleration and deceleration of the head itself means the brain kind of sloshes around inside the skull and sometimes will bump up against the skull and that can result in some trauma too. So this would be things like a significant whiplash injury in a car wreck where maybe your head doesn't hit anything but the whiplash you've gone through has actually created some level of brain injury. We also see these in blast injuries. So vets coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan with uh, IED, um, explosive injuries, uh, oftentimes deal with some of these traumatic brain injuries as well. Stroke is not necessarily what we'd call a traumatic brain injury, but it's not that dissimilar. It's still trauma, it's still damage to the brain. Now, there's a lot of these traumatic brain injury cases in the U.S. every year, somewhere between one and a half to almost four million cases annually in the U.S. And I think a lot of these really go undiagnosed, so there's probably even more than that. Uh, many people don't recognize that they've had a traumatic brain injury, or if, even if they do, a lot of times they think, well, there's nothing that can be done, so they don't seek care. Oftentimes, too, it, a traumatic brain injury is an additional injury to a fall. And we see this a lot in our older patients. If they fall and they break a hip, many times the fact that they hit their head is very much overlooked. So the, the hip is treated, that's great, but nobody really walked them through the, the exam to see if they also might have had a brain injury. And the thing with traumatic brain injuries is that you don't always have symptoms immediately. Many cases will develop the symptoms over time. It's not just what happens instantly, 
but many times the symptoms will show up more and more the further you get even from the actual injury. What do those symptoms look like? Well, symptoms uh, are on a spectrum. There's, there's a whole lot of different things that can happen as far as symptoms with traumatic brain injuries go. So each case is really unique. Well, I'm gonna quote from the study here. Traumatic brain injury results in a wide spectrum of neurological, psychiatric, cognitive, and emotional consequences. The variation is related to the severity of the injury as well as the brain, the, the part of the brain that's injured, um, and the evolution of the injury over time due to neuroinflammatory processes. Neuroinflammatory processes refers to inflammation surrounding a damaged area of the brain. So the more inflammation you have around these damaged areas, the more and more you can have symptoms, especially symptoms that develop over time. And that's because you have a lot of changes to the way that the cells work. The mitochondria don't work quite like they're supposed to. You have a disruption of some of the ways that these nerves are supposed to talk to each other. And you even have some ischemia, some starvation of oxygen. Uh, and, and damage sometimes to the blood-brain barrier. So there can be a, a lot of different problems that go along um, cellularly with traumatic brain injury. But these will really manifest themselves as headaches, visual disturbances, dizziness, cognitive impairment, loss of executive skills, meaning that really kind of high-level decision-making. Uh, there can be memory impairment, fatigue, Impulsivity, where you're making decisions on the fly, on you know snap decisions that you necessarily wouldn't usually do. Uh, impaired judgment, emotional outbursts, anxiety, and depression. All, all these are individual symptoms from traumatic brain injuries. And again, this you're not necessarily instantly depressed after a traumatic brain injury. This is something that can develop over time, uh, sometimes over years. So this study actually looked at patients who had had a chronic traumatic brain injury, meaning they'd had it for a, a long time. Uh, some of these patients that they were studying was, was a couple of years. Some of them were more than 20 years old uh, for the traumatic brain injuries that they had sustained. So um, before we get into exactly what they saw, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about the limited current treatment options that are out there because there's just not much. Uh, there are some things that are pretty commonly done though. Number one is medications. There are drugs that can help to target the, what's called the neuropsychiatric sequela of traumatic brain injury, meaning pretty much the symptoms. You know, um, so you can address symptoms like depression and attention problems, uh, alertness, anxiety, insomnia, you can address some of those symptoms with medications. However, and I'm going to quote the study here, uh, rather than providing any means of healing or repairing injury, these pharmacological treatments are focused on modulating these, these symptoms. So medications can make this livable, but they're not necessarily really helping the brain to repair itself. There are some additional treatments like cognitive rehab, behavioral therapies, and nutritional supplements that have shown some level of success in some cases. Um, so those aren't bad ideas, 
But again, most of that uh, is really trying to address some of the symptoms rather than really repairing the damage. Now, uh, these researchers did discuss hyperbaric oxygen as well. Hyperbaric oxygen is when you have a kind of pressure chamber and you, you push a higher, uh, higher pressure of oxygenated air into this chamber with the patient in the hopes that you can get more oxygen delivered into the blood. About that though, um, I'll quote from the study again, hyperbaric oxygen therapy is neither a benign treatment given the concerns of oxygen toxicity nor a clear treatment and that the placebo condition of uh, hyper, uh, moderately hyperbaric room air also effectively improves cognitive function. So what that means is not only is there, are there potentials for um, you know, side effects here, but also we're not really sure that it's not just a placebo effect uh, where uh, people think that they're getting a benefit and so then it manifests itself as some kind of measurable improvement. Exercise has been shown to be pretty beneficial for people with traumatic brain injuries. However, not everyone with a TBI can exercise. If you're that patient who fell, broke your hip, and got a traumatic brain injury, it's going to be really hard to get on the treadmill with your broken hip. So um, even after the surgeries to repair that, many times exercise is difficult. If you can in implement exercise in your regimen for addressing TBI, it's absolutely a great idea. However, it is very difficult for some people to do. Um, and you should definitely get a doctor's opinion on whether or not you are safe to exercise before you just jump into an exercise program. If you are safe to exercise, you're going to need to be consistent. You're going to need to do it for at least six months to be able to see that benefit really uh, take place there and, and help the brain recover. So to summarize all that, the researchers say, unfortunately, Little has been found to reverse the damage of traumatic brain injury or repetitive concussion, which is the root cause of residual cognitive and psychological impairment following traumatic brain injuries. But <laughs> one potential avenue of treatment for TBI is infrared light, which has shown promising data in a number of applications. Near-infrared light has been investigated for its ability to modulate intracellular mechanisms related to healing, as well as uh, facilitating wound healing, promote muscle repair, stimulating angiogenesis, or the creation of new blood vessels to damaged areas. It's been studied and applied to many different uh, conditions, including skin ulcers, osteoarthritis, peripheral nerve injury, low back pain, myocardial infarction, and stem cell induction. So there is a lot that we've already known that laser can help with. So if we take and we apply what we know about laser therapy to brain injuries, well, what can we do? Is there a potential there that we can actually get the brain to repair these damaged areas? One of the challenges to getting this done in the first place is getting light into the brain. Now, we know that laser will go through bone. That might surprise a lot of people, but it does. It'll go right through bone. The thing is, before you even get to the bone, you've got a lot of skin and hair and blood vessels and other tissues that really absorb light or reflect the light. So low power lasers or LED 
units that provide uh, not quite a strong enough level of light don't get down to the brain. These researchers, these researchers showed that the standard kind of low level or 0.5 watt LEDs especially really don't even penetrate a couple of millimeters of skin. However, once you're up into the higher power lasers, 10 watts, 15 watts, then you start talking about transmitting 11 to 17 percent of the light through the skin and actually getting about 3% of the light into the brain. Now 3% of the light doesn't mean, doesn't probably sound like a lot, but it's enough. It's a therapeutic dose you can get to the brain non-invasively uh, with, without any, any level of, of danger there. So you have to start with a high level of power if you're going to get down to the brain. So if you're listening right now and you're thinking about getting laser therapy uh, for a brain injury of some type, you need to have access to someone that has a good high intensity laser and knows how to use it. So um, if we can get the light in there though, then what happens is we start to modulate and improve the way that the cells function uh, in those damaged areas. And, and the really critical thing here, like I just was talking about, is to get the light into the brain so that those changes can take place. Now, many of the current recommendations out there are based on animal studies that have been done to really set the stage or set the foundation. But you have to be looking at the target tissues versus what you're lasering on the outside. So when I start talking to you about low-level lasers are not going to be as effective. It's simply because human skull and skin is very thick. And if we're going to be looking to animal studies as a guide for some of these treatments, you have to realize that animal studies are a lot of times done with smaller animals, with very thin skull, very thin amount of skin, not a lot before you can really get to the brain, not a lot of tissues that can absorb or reflect the light before you get to the brain. So when we're talking about human size brains, we need to be starting with higher dose lasers. Now, these researchers collected 10 subjects, five men, five women, um, all with some pretty significant symptoms of traumatic brain injury that included anxiety, depression, irritability, insomnia, headaches, suicidal ideation. All right, they're thinking about suicide frequently. Cognitive difficulties, attention problems, short-term memory problems, loss of libido, substance abuse, fatigue, and panic attacks. Six of their patients, six out of these ten, were unemployed, couldn't hold down a job. And, and several of them also were having family issues as well that were very, very difficult. So the researchers used either a 10-watt or a 15-watt laser to apply a fairly high dose across the head directly, either on the sides of the head or on the front of the head, and use the laser on these patients between 10 and 20 times. Now, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody go, oh, you're going to be cooking my brain, you're going to be warming me up like a microwave? No. There's, even with the high intensity lasers like these researchers used, like we use every day in our clinic, uh, they are high intensity, they are high power, but we're not burning or cutting or destroying any tissues. 
As a matter of fact, in this study, the researchers saw a less than 3 degrees Celsius temperature elevation at the skin, which that is less than going out and standing in the sun. So we're not talking about heating up the tissues. Um, the warmest it's going to get is on the skin where you can feel it. So we're not going to be cooking anybody's brain because again, we're only getting about 3% of the light down to the brain anyway. So it's very safe. The researchers didn't show any, any safety concerns, any major, you know, any really significant side effects at all. Didn't even really heat up the skin that much. And here's what they saw at the conclusion of this study was that the depression levels in the patients dropped all the way down to the non-depressed range. Significant decrease. They also noted improvements in cognitive function, mood, anxiety, and sleep. None of those patients continued to have suicidal thoughts. Anxiety and irritability were markedly improved. And the people, five of the six people here in the study who weren't able to work actually got back to work got back to new careers, often in highly skilled trades. The people who are having problems with their relationships, with their marriages, were able to resolve those difficulties and then solidify their marriages by a couple of different measures. So we're not just talking about the way these people feel, but we're talking about the way they actually were living improved. The way they're functioning with their family members, with their coworkers, all that improved very, very well. Again, a total of 10 to 20 treatments for these, for these patients. Um, treatments took about uh, eight to 10 minutes and uh, were very, very safe and we saw very, very good results. And I'll tell you, this is, this is what we see in our office too. Uh, often very, very rapid improvements. Um, recently, we've had a case where uh, a patient who was involved in a severe traumatic brain injury and was largely nonverbal, has become a totally different person just in within a couple of months of treatment, is able to verbalize his thoughts uh, in, a, in, a, in a manner that many people can understand him, um, has become much more functional, much more independent. So we're seeing very, very good results in these, of course, these mild traumatic brain injury cases, but then even all the way up to some of the more severe ones. Um, so I would encourage you, if you are dealing with or you suspect you're dealing with a concussion, a brain injury of some type, get yourself checked out if you haven't been. If you have been checked out and you've been told there's nothing you can do, I want you to find a laser therapist who knows what they're doing. Laser therapy doctors uh, that are experienced and educated will know exactly what to do for your case. We'll be able to make some recommendations and then you can decide if that's right for you. Go to our website, lasertherapyinstitute.org, find someone near you that knows what they're doing. If you can't find someone near you, I want you to email me and we will help you find someone that is in your area that can help with your symptoms. You don't have to live with some of these side effects of traumatic brain injury. You can actually make a difference in, in the way you feel, the way you function, the way you work, the way you relate to your family members. If you get on this, remember this can, this can go on for years after an actual injury. So you owe it to yourself to look into this and work on getting better. Laser therapy is a fantastic way to do that. So thanks for joining us today. 
If you have questions, get a hold of me, please. We're here to help you out. We're here to be a resource uh, for our communities locally and then uh, globally as well. So we want to hear from you and we will see you next week. Subscribe to this weekly podcast for more great information. Find a certified laser therapy clinic near you at lasertherapyinstitute.org. If you are a healthcare provider, check out our practitioner-focused Laser Therapy Institute podcast. Thanks for listening.